Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. This is Let's Go Blues Radio. I am your host, Jeff Ponder, and this is Season 8, Episode 25, Franchise Episode number 211, the 24th episode of Behind Enemy Lines, which means we only have six left. Hard to believe that I've been able to post this many this summer. I want to give a big thanks to the Wild and Free for the use of their song, Fire, also, a big thanks to Tom Calhoun, which can be found at paguytom.com. Check out his books on tape over there. Pretty good stuff. If you want to have a book read to you, having it read by the longtime Blues PA guy, doesn't sound so bad to me. Make sure you check out the letsgoblues.com shop. Consider buying yourself a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds go back into the show. Also, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen over at letsgobluesradio.com. Give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you can. Leave a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Well, I'm gonna, before we uh, get into the next segment, I do want to say that uh, I did cheat uh, last week. I actually did go out of town for my job, so I was, uh, I was in New Jersey for the last week, and... We received an email, and he's probably thinking, why didn't this guy read my email? And, um, yeah, it's because this was pre-recorded. I did that uh, the week prior, and, uh, yeah, I, at that time we had not received the email. We received it at the end of August um, when I pre-recorded the episode. So that's also why I didn't mention the Barbashev signing. I really feel silly for not reminding you all about the uh, grand opening of the new rink. Uh, on one of those episodes either. That was on Saturday. Obviously, I could not attend, but uh, I saw a lot of pictures from friends and it seemed like it was a really good time. So uh, kudos to the Blues on having such a great event. And uh, I will be playing at that rink. I think I start next Sunday. So I'm very excited to uh, to check that rink out myself. Should be a lot of fun. Well, without further ado, let's get into that next segment. And uh, folks, it's time we keep the party going. So our email this week, which uh, we haven't read one in a while, so pretty cool to get one, so thank you. And uh, Actually, I should go ahead and mention now, uh, if you want to email into the show and be a part of this segment, uh, it's radio at letsgoblues.com. That's radio at letsgoblues.com. Let us know how you're celebrating this summer, um, how you're maybe gearing up for this season, how long you've been a blues fan. Whatever you want to talk about, uh, if you are like, hmm, I don't know what I really want to say, but I want to email in, take a listen to our friend Chris in St. Louis. Here's what he has to say. 
Hey, loving the Behind Enemy Lines series. It's keeping me going through the hockey drought this offseason. But I'll get right to it. My name is Chris. I've lived in the St. Louis area my entire life. We always cheered for the Blues and went to the occasional game, but we mostly watched during playoff time. As you know, as a fellow Blues fan, those are some of the most heartbreaking times to watch Blues hockey. I finally got sucked into following the Blues more closely when I was in high school, particularly post-lockout. Oshi, Backus, Frower, Elliott, Halak. I watched those guys come and go, particularly the Backus-led teams that I was sure would get to that cup. Just could not seem to get it done. I still love them, but I waited for the team that could finally do it. I don't know how, but I just knew one day I'd see us get that cup. My dad would always remind me, come playoff time, that he'd seen the Blues play for 50 years, and not to get too excited come playoff time, but I never listened. I'd say, Dad, they're so much better than the insert name of team that knocked them out here. They could do it. The last several years, I've worked with a private high school that brings kids in from all over the world to work on their academics, their sports play, and getting college scholarships in the USA. Every year, I've introduced these kids to Blues hockey, watching games and monitoring scores while I was helping the kids with dinner or homework, even made a few new Blues fans by taking them to some games. One of them, I wasn't there to guide him, and the poor kid bought a Laterra jersey, and I didn't have the heart to tell him, but that's another story. Whew, man, yeah, you didn't, you didn't really lead him down a good path there, buddy. Come on. Finally, this season rolls around, and I was stoked. The Blues made so many moves. I was excited to have Bozak, Maroon, and Perron again, but the O'Reilly trade put it over the top. This team was going to be unstoppable. Then the season started. Talk about raining on my parade. The Blues were just awful, and I couldn't pace, I couldn't pace white. No single player stood out as stinking up the team, Allen had his struggles, don't get me started, seriously, I'll fill up the podcast, but our D was atrocious. My dad, in a weird sort of reversal of roles, told me that it was only November, and then only mid-December, and the Blues had time to turn it around. I would reply that even if the team managed to scrape into the playoffs, the way they were playing, it would be a first-round exit. I still, still wanted them to make the playoffs, if nothing else, to boost Stillman's revenue for being an awesome owner but I had little hope in this team. Then things clicked. The Blues brought up some goaltender I'd barely heard of. Great, maybe he'll do better than Allen, but why would he bring up, like, our fifth-string goalie? You know the story from here. Binner with the shutout, 11-game winning streak, beating Tampa twice, Nashville three times, and ultimately not only squeaking into the playoffs, but speeding in and breaking down the door. When the playoffs started, I had real hope that this team could do it, It felt totally different to me than watching Blues playoffs in years past. They shrugged off losses and came right back. Going down by a goal was not the nail in the coffin it used to be for the team. When we won the cup, my dog must have thought the apocalypse was upon us because we were screaming. Everyone in the neighborhood set off fireworks. I had kids in Brazil texting me saying, The Blues just won? I still get jazzed just thinking about it. Unfortunately, now I do have to listen to the I told you it wasn't out of reach in November talks from my dad that's the price I pay for a Blue Stanley Cup, so be it. Even though it's been the shortest offseason we've ever had, it's still been entirely too long without Blues hockey, if you ask me. Cannot wait for our Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues, to take the ice again. Never get tired of saying that. Chris. And of course he adds, sorry I went on for so long, if it's too long or I rambled too much, and you can't use it, no worries. Chris, come on. 
course I'm going to read the whole thing. That was great stuff. Thank you very much for writing in. I like how you mentioned that um, that this wasn't the this just wasn't the same blues team from years past, and you could tell going in. And it's funny because uh, if, for those that paid attention to us on on Facebook and Instagram, that we I had a, a a win counter going every time there was a Blues win, I'd post a picture from that game, and I would uh, you know kind of highlight what number win that was to get to 16. I've never done that before uh, ever with any of my stuff, uh, any any kind of my writing, any of. Uh, you know, being a fan and just posting on social, uh, message boards, I haven't done anything like that. But like you, Chris, I knew going in, I'm like, this is this is a different team. If I'm ever going to count down wins, it's going to be this year. So, uh, yeah, I hear you. Just a different year altogether. And, uh, man, was it, was it exciting? Holy cow. Well, let's go ahead and get into our guest of the week. Uh, we're going to be talking Ottawa Senators with Conrad Amenta from Welcome to Your Carlson Years. Uh, yeah, you're probably hearing that title and thinking, wait a minute, Carlson's not with the Senators anymore, but we get into why he still calls it that. Uh, it's funny because uh, I want to go ahead and mention this, that uh, uh, Conrad had emailed me very shortly after we recorded the episode. Like I think it was even the next day, and he discovered an interesting tidbit about St. Louis and Ottawa hockey history um, and I wanted to share it with you because uh, I, I didn't know this. This is actually uh, interesting, and I'm sure some of you are listening or saying, "Oh yeah, of course. Why don't you know that, Mr. Hockey Guy?" But uh, yeah, there's a there's a little shared history here between the original Ottawa Senators and the um, the St. Louis Eagles, which was a, a hockey team here, a professional hockey team in 1934-35. So I researched what he sent me. And I'm gonna go ahead and read to you. This is a yes. This is from uh, mostly from Wikipedia, but uh, don't worry. I did uh, research it a little bit more, make sure that uh, what they're saying is correct. This is not a lie. So, uh, yeah, here's a little tidbit that I, I took from the internet uh, about St. Louis and Ottawa hockey history. The St. Louis Eagles played one season in 1934-35, but were originally founded in 1883 as the Ottawa Senators, a successful independent team that joined the NHL as a charter member in 1917. From the mid-1920s onward, they endured financial strain caused in part by being in the NHL's smallest market. The financial problems forced the Senators to suspend operations for the 31-32 season. Upon their return to play... Having sold their better players in an effort to raise funds, the Senators finished in last place for two straight seasons and continued to lose money. Following the repeat last place finish, the team decided that it could not survive in Ottawa and hoped to move to a bigger market. In an attempt to recoup losses and pay outstanding debts, the Senators moved the NHL franchise to St. Louis, where it was nicknamed the Eagles. However, the team continued to lose money because of its travel expenses and it was forced to sell players to other teams to meet its financial obligations. After the season, the owners asked the NHL for a second time for permission to suspend operations. This time, the NHL refused the request. Instead, the league bought back the franchise, halted its operations, and dispersed its players among the remaining teams. So very interesting stuff. He uh, he emailed me that, Conrad had, and, and I was like, huh, I, I did not know that. That is definitely worth mentioning. So... Uh, thanks again to Conrad for uh, that interesting tidbit of information between Ottawa and St. Louis. So before we get into the interview, I do want to uh, mention this was recorded on uh, May 24th. So this was actually just after the Blues 
had captured the Western Conference title, and they were getting ready to play in the Stanley Cup final. So uh, if you hear us talk about that, that uh, that is why, because the Stanley Cup final had not taken place yet. But, uh, of course, what we talk about is mostly stuff from uh, long before uh, this season. So today we are talking Ottawa Senators, um, the team that, uh, well, we'll get to in a bit with uh, the Pavel Dimitri trade, because that's probably one of the bigger ones I know that uh, people are telling me to make sure to talk about. But uh, I am joined today by Conrad Amenta of Welcome to Your Carlson Years podcast. You can find it at welcometoyourcarlsonyears.com, and that's Carlson like Eric Carlson. Uh, Before we get to Conrad, I do want to list off a, a couple important notes here. The Blues' all-time record against the Ottawa Senators, 37 games played, 18-13-2-4. That four is overtime losses. The first meeting between these two teams was on January 14, 1993, in St. Louis. It was a 4-1 win for the Blues. Curtis Joseph makes 37 saves on 38 shots against, so uh, good for Cujo there, one of uh, the all-time faves and goal for Blues fans. And then uh, one more note I wanted to touch on before we got to uh, to Conrad here is the uh, the Blues. Their biggest margin of victory was actually against the lowly Senators. Uh, same season of um, I'm sorry, that was the next season. Uh, so the second year for the Senators, February 26, 1994, Blues 11 and the Senators won. So that is a uh, that's a big win. I actually barely remember that game but I, I do remember the blues putting up 11 and uh the towel man uh having to, to constantly count i think he was even he ran out of towels that game uh large <laughs> the largest margin of victory for the blues in franchise history brendan shanahan had three goals and two assists uh the only players on the roster that night without a point were murray baron kelly chase nathan lafayette tom tilly and of course curtis joseph so Big win there, uh, man. I I, I got I I got to tell you, Conrad. I know you remember that one all too well because you know the Senators weren't bad that year and had plenty of games like that, right? Yeah. So let, you're you're talking about like the black hole of hockey achievement here, which is the <laughs> early early Ottawa Senators. So you, that 94, 93, 94 season, I think we're talking about. Just as a reminder, the Senators went fourteen sixty one and nine for just like a stellar 37 points and that's a uh, that's an improvement on their their inaugural year where they 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 got 24 points and so uh you know while i'm uh, i'm i'm glad that st louis blues fans have um that 11 to 1 victory to feel feel proud about you were you were basically uh beating up an ahl team at that point um you know the uh it, what what Blues fans might not know is that the inaugural season, the season right before, in their very first game, Ottawa played against a stacked Habs team with like Patrick Juan net, and they they beat them in their very first game wow. ever in the tiny Civic Center in downtown Ottawa. You know their arena wasn't even built yet, and the uh, the headline in the Ottawa papers the next day was maybe Rome was built in a day. Like it was such a big deal. And then I, I don't know how many games in a row they lost after that, but they finished that inaugural season 10, 70 and four. So uh, that that's, uh, you know, I think we're in the record books as we're not quite the worst team of all time, but we're, we're up there uh, along with, you know, I think the San Jose Sharks came into the league the year before or the year after 
and they were pretty bad for a long time too. So, mm -hmm. you know, those, those early expansion teams, expansion rules were not kind back then. You know, there was no Vegas Golden Knights style run to the finals in the, you know, their inaugural year. You came into the league and you were, you were bad forever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And they were, I remember every time playing the, uh, the senators and, and then a couple of years later, the, even the, the predators, the blue jackets, it was, uh, all right, well, should be a, should be two points tonight for the blues. Just rough <laughs> years, rough years for you. Fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, so, so I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of at the start here, um, you have an interesting name to your podcast. Uh, welcome to your Carlson years. Um, I'm guessing this was started when Eric Carlson was still with the senators. Um, you want to, any background you can provide us on the name of your show and, and why it hasn't changed since he left? Yeah, yeah, sure. So when we started, we started uh, out as a, as a blog years ago. It was just some buddies and I uh, sharing emails back and forth after Sens games. And we started to look at these email threads and thought, you know, some of these are pretty entertaining. We should throw these up on the internet and see if anybody reads them. And we actually started by uh, calling ourselves the... Um, uh, Corey Conacher, uh, or no, not Corey Conacher, uh, Corey Clouston fashion review after the head coach of the Ottawa Senators at the time, Corey Clouston. Uh, that was also, that was a, a bad choice. Obviously coaches don't have a lot of longevity in the NHL. He was, he was shortly after fired and we, uh, chose to name ourselves after, uh, what was then just a very promising undersized blue liner, uh, Eric Carlson. And, you know, I think we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about David Runblad and uh, Tarasenko uh, and that overlap. But, you know, when Eric Carlson was picked uh, by the late, great uh, Brian Murray, um, you know, the local media here, there's a there's a local uh, journalist here who called it a garbage pick. Uh, they really couldn't believe that Ottawa would trade up to draft an undersized uh, skilled defenseman in the first round. Like they really thought of him more as a later round swing for the fences type. Uh, but then Carlson just started doing pretty amazing things. Uh, you know, pretty early in his career, he was, uh, he was already in the Norris conversation and uh, we wanted to pick a player that we thought was going to be a lifetime Senator, you know, in retrospect, we probably should have just called it like, welcome to your Alfredson years or something uh, just <laughs> yeah. you know, out of respect for Alfie. But um, you know, with the trade that uh, of Carlson to San Jose, we we kind of talked about it. We said we should just keep it. You know, we had one of the best players in the world for several years, and he did some pretty incredible things in Ottawa. And uh, you know, we'll always look back as at you know the years we had Carlson as uh, really defining for the franchise. So let's just let's just keep it. Yeah, that's not a bad call. I, I think people, unless he wins a cup somewhere and. Uh, has a longer career somewhere else. I think people will always remember him as a senator, like they do with Danny Alf. I know Alfredson went on to play with the the Red Wings, and that's a mark in your history. You probably don't like to remember, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that we will almost always remember Carlson as a senator across the league. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we could have called it "Welcome to Your Melnick Years" or something, yeah. but that would have oh. just been sour, sour taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah, I don't think you want to do that. You might not get any listens. <laughs> exactly. Um, so talking about players that uh, that are remembered for a certain team they played with, let's get into our first big discussion point here. Uh, November 27th, 1996, one of the greatest trades in Blues history, possibly one of the worst trades in Ottawa Senators history. Um, 
and everyone knows exactly where we're going with this. Pavel Dimitra uh, for Krister Olsen. This was um, this was a trade for any of those that have read the uh, the uh, ninety nine things to to know and do before a Blues fan dies by Jeremy Rutherford out here. He had a detailed description of this uh, trade that Bobby Plager had scouted Dimitra and had told. Uh, and I don't even know if you know this, Conrad. Um, he scouted Dimitra and went back to. Um, let's see, 96, that would have been Keenan, and said, uh, you, you know, we got to trade for this guy. And, um, you know, because he's playing in the AHL, he's great, he's very skilled. And um, the answer originally was no. And, you know, why? If, he, if he's good enough, why isn't Ottawa playing him? And mm-hmm. they were, well, because they've got Yashin, they've got Dig, they've got all these guys with skill. They don't need another skilled guy. And so uh, they need a defenseman. So they offered uh, Christopher Olsen, and they accepted. And Pavel Dimitra went on to play uh, parts of, uh, well, he played a long time for St. Louis. All time, he's uh, he had 204 goals, which is eighth all time, 289 assists, which was seventh, and 493 points, which was fifth. He had a 93-point season in 2002-2003. Uh, he was part of multiple memorable lines in St. Louis, including the Slovak pack with Michael Hanzus and Lubos Portechko as well as the Kachuk Dimitra Mellonby line, which was so dominant for a couple of years. Uh, if you're wondering what Krister Olsen did, well, he went to Ottawa and played 25 games, scored two goals, three assists, and it was a minus five. So, Conrad, for you, what does this trade mean to you? Is this something that the <laughs> Senators fans look at and say, oh, my God, or are they, you know, do people not, are people not even aware of that? I think, you know, I think people are aware of the trade. It's obviously one of the historically like most lopsided trades, maybe in league history. Um, but, you know, what really fascinates me about the trade is that I, I'm not even sure if that kind of a trade is even possible anymore. Like we see lopsided trades uh, and we, we've recently seen some lopsided one for one trades like the Hall for Larson or Subban for Weber. But, you know, even the teams on the losing end of those trades are getting players that they're, they're running out there for 18 to 20 minutes a night. They're, you know, they're getting people who are NHL players. They're getting players who are under contract, who are under, who they can control for a long time. So, you know, you might look at those trades and say, uh, Oh wow. You know, what are they thinking? Um, But you know, you can, if you squint and look at it sideways, you can kind of understand it. And at the very least, they're getting someone who stays in the NHL. You know, looking back at that uh, Dimitri for Olsen trade, it's like Ottawa traded a young controllable asset for a guy who basically walked. I think he went back to Sweden after, after that one season. Yep. Um, you know, generally speaking, if you're a building team, you're not going to trade your young controllable players. Uh, even if they are, you know, just skill guys who are, you're not sure if they're NHL players or you're going to trade them for more young controllable players. You're going to trade them for more assets. So it seems like uh, maybe back in, that was uh, 95, I think he said. 96. Um, 96. Okay. So, um, it, you know, that's coming off of uh, four of the worst seasons in NHL history. Uh, the team is still building out their scouting capacity. This is pre-analytics. Uh, I'm not trying to defend the trade at all, uh, but <laughs> you know, I think it's it's kind of interesting just because I, I I have a hard time seeing a trade like that even happening in today's NHL. Like teams put too much of an emphasis on scouting. 
too much of an emphasis on development and controllable assets. Um, you know, what's interesting about the year that it happened was actually, I think that was the first year that the Sens uh, made the playoffs. So that's, that's kind of interesting uh, yeah. that they, you know, after these like terrible, terrible seasons, the season prior, they went 18, 59 and five. And then uh, in 96, 97, they made the playoffs for the first time. And, um, you know, maybe they felt like they were coming together and they could uh, they could take a risk on on Olsen. But then the other interesting thing is, re- can you read that stat line for Olsen again? Yeah, uh, 25 games played, two goals, three assists, minus five. Okay, all right. So not great, but, you know, also, you know, he was in the, he was in the lineup. Uh, you know, I'm not sure uh, if they could have done more to connect with him to ask if he planned to go back to Sweden. Obviously, he wasn't under either. He was under contract and didn't honor it and left the NHL altogether or he wasn't under contract. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, th- this this started the era of the Sens making the playoffs uh, almost every year. Uh, not the Olsen trade, obviously, but like I think they were just in a different place and uh you know, I, I think that's the most interesting thing for me, though, is just like it'd be hard to even imagine this trade happening today. It's funny because you, you just called it the Olsen trade. I don't think I've ever <laughs> heard it called the Olsen trade. Yeah, yeah. Everyone in Ottawa refers to it as the Olsen trade because we got 20, 25 great games out of him. And, and, and we, we wish him lots of luck wherever he is today. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I think he's probably back coaching or something in Sweden, I'm sure. I actually tried to yeah. find out. And I couldn't find anything on him. I know he played a little bit longer, but uh, after that, he kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. So, uh, wow. Yeah. One of the more interesting, if you, uh, so the site I like to use, especially when doing research, it's a great site for anybody and, and they deserve a plug here. NHL trade tracker.com. Uh, they have a tab for worst all time trades and that is one of the ones listed. So I do, <laughs> I do find that funny. Uh, you know, blues have been on the other side of that before, um, but, uh, this one was, was one that was definitely a steal for the blues. And I remember just a couple of years, I mean, two, three years later, Demetra was lighting up on the, on the first line, second line. Part of the reason the blues were able to get rid of Brett Hall. Cause they said they got a guy like Demetra. They don't need, an, uh, you know, they didn't need Hall at that point. They had guys that could replace him. And, um, yeah, without that trade, I don't know how good those, those teams in 99, 2000 and 2001 were. Because, you know, you look at 2000 uh, when he was with the Slovak pack on, on the top line, he missed the playoffs. He was out with a concussion and the Blues lose in seven games to the San Jose Sharks. So that team, those teams without Demetra uh, could have been a completely different lineup because he was the heart and soul of, of the offense. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about um, like if Demetra had been in the fold in Ottawa in the years that followed, you know, they had Alfredson. He won the Calder in his first year, uh, really turning into one of the best two-way players in the game. You got Yashin, uh, Daigle, obviously. People still thought he was going to develop into something. Radic Bonk and Chris Phillips, a young Chris Phillips, like starting to turn into at least a respectable team. And uh, in those the years that followed the Demetra trade, that's when Ottawa got into their super traumatic, like multiple playoff losses to the Maple Leafs which is like one of the most defining characteristics of the early Sens is losing to the Maple Leafs like 
four times in five years. And it costs, uh, you know, it costs Jacques Martin, his job as coach. Uh, people start getting traded. Uh, Patrick Lalim gets traded, I think. Uh, did he go to the Blues? He came uh, to St. Louis, unfortunately. It, <laughs> like, so, you know, what, what would it have been like if, this, if Demetra in his prime had been in the, in the fold in Ottawa during those years? Like, do, would we be talking about... Ottawa's long line of uh, traumatic losses to the Leafs or, uh, you know, probably, but <laughs> maybe we would have taken one of those series. Well, don't worry. The, uh, the Bruins are, are paying them back for you. It seems like the Maple Leafs are destined to face the Bruins every year and can't get past them now. That is a little bit of, uh, there's a lot of schadenfreude going on there. <laughs> um, so I do want to talk about another big trade. You mentioned the lean trade, which we don't really need to go over because, um, at the end of the day, that turned out to be really a nothing trade for both sides, but one that, that really kind of stands out and one that a lot of people don't remember, even though it was just nine years ago on uh, June 25th on draft day, uh, Blues had traded their last first round pick, the guy they had drafted in 2009, David Runblad to uh, Ottawa for the 2010 16th overall pick. And the Blues used that to select, of course, Vladimir Tarasenko. And it's funny because... I've had discussions with some, you know, some pretty good hockey minds uh, about this trade now. And they say, man, why did the 15 teams before that not draft Tarasenko? Why did the Senators not want to draft Tarasenko? People forget this was on the heels of Alexander Radulov. Um, This was on the heels of um, the other names escaping me. Uh, The other guy that, 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 that busted out of the NHL to go to the KHL. Uh, this this was when the Russians started getting that stigma of, mm-hmm. okay, they want to play in the KHL no matter what. They're going to just leave town whenever they get the chance. So people were weary of drafting players like Tarasenko. Uh, luckily, the Blues, I guess, had talked. I don't know if they talked to him before or was right after, but he, he told them, I want to play in the NHL. I want to come to North America. I want to prove I'm one of the best players in the world. And uh, so it, it worked out for the Blues, but... Uh, at the time, and this is something we talked a little bit about off air, David Runblad was a hell of a player. I mean, the, the Senators were happy to get him, and it seemed like he was going to be a part of the Senators' future, uh, at least on, on uh, the top four uh, defensemen. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to remember a couple of years before that, uh, Ottawa had traded up to take Carlson. And there was that was a bit of a controversial pick, as I mentioned, like, you know, uh, we're accustomed to Canadian teams taking, uh, you know, uh, big boys, uh, guys who are going to play tough and and uh, and 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 be hard to play against. And so for Ottawa to trade up and take a guy who was like 153 pounds at the time was was kind of like an existential question or something for hockey fans. And then we start to see what Carlson could do. And a couple of years later they make this trade uh, for Runeblad. And I think, you know, at least in the hockey community that I'm a part of in Ottawa, we were all in on Runeblad. We were like, this is, this is amazing. We're going to have a blue line with Carlson and Runeblad on it. And uh, we had total faith in that Brian Murray knew what he was doing, uh, drafting these skilled uh, defensemen. And, you know, we, we had Wade Redden for a long time too. So we kind of understood the, 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 strength of having a someone with a strong first pass uh someone who's great in the transition game and so you know there was a lot of of kind of energy invested in the idea of of runeblad and then a couple of years after that 
uh, Murray flips Runeblad and a pick for Kyle Turris. And that was like a, at the time, that was a, like, people were kind of pissed off about that. You know, like Turris was considered maybe kind of this problem player, someone who holds out on contracts, who feels young and entitled. And we were giving up this like amazing blue line player for someone who we thought might just play a couple of years in Ottawa and leave. And uh, that ended up working out really well, though. I mean, Turris ended up becoming this like beloved player in the Ottawa community, scored some huge goals uh, in overtime in the playoffs for Ottawa. Runblad ended up, uh, you know, kind of bottoming out in Arizona and then going to Chicago. Uh, I think he won a cup with Chicago. I'm not sure if his I name's think, on the I cup. Think he did. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he's been kind of a depth player. I don't even know where he is now. Uh, but he never became that blue chip, uh, blue liner. Um, but yeah, at the time, at the time, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a player people had a lot of energy invested in. And, uh, you know, I, I think less so people are, people are less, uh, angsty about the fact that we gave up on, on draft or we passed on, on drafting Tarasenko. Um, just because we had our own sort of homegrown drama around the uh, the tourists and Runblad trade. Right. Um, so you you look at David Runblad, and for those that are interested, because I was uh, once you once we started talking about him, I'm like, what did happen to him? Uh, so he was drafted by the Blues, played uh, 24 games for the Senators, then went to Phoenix, played for Phoenix slash Arizona, and then went to the Blackhawks, won his cup there, uh, and then uh, then. Actually, I don't even think he he might not have even played. No, he did. He played five games the year they, they won the Cup, uh, the last one. And then he went over to Zurich in the Swiss A-League and looks like he is now in the KHL with St. Petersburg, who is one heck of a hockey team. So uh, so good for him. Uh, probably going to win a, a championship there as well if he hasn't already. So uh, looks like he knows how to win. It's just a matter of... Uh, not really panning out to the player I think everybody thought he was going to be. He's still pretty young too. He's like 20, 28. So, you know, he could, uh, I don't know if he's, if he's going to break back into the league, but those types of players are, are, are valuable. You know, uh, if, if Johnny Oduya keeps getting new contracts somewhere, you know, someone should take a, take a chance on, on Rundblad at some point. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good skater. And I, it was funny because I remember when that trade happened, I remember, Thinking first, my thought was, okay, Tarasenko is one of the best players not drafted yet, but there's the Russian stigma, and they were just pumping Runblad's tires the year before, and so I was I was a little concerned too. I'm like, man, I, this sounds like a defenseman the Blues really could have used, but then I started reading reports that uh, the Blues had kind of soured on him. They thought that um, at best he was going to be a number one AHL guy, and uh, at, at, uh, you know, maybe a, a sixth, seventh defenseman on the blues roster. Um, and so I said, okay, well, let's, let's give it a shot. Then if that's really the case, let's do it. And, uh, it obviously worked out for the blues. Uh, yeah. so I want to, I want to mention one, uh, well, actually, yeah. One other big trade here with you. Uh, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, we don't have to go over the trade itself too much, but, um, in 2012, February 26th, this was the, uh, the lockout year. Um, the, uh, the blues had drafted, uh, Ben Bishop, local boy. And, uh, I'm sorry, this was not the, this was the year before the lockout. Um, the blues had drafted the, uh, the local boy, Ben Bishop, a uh, guy who went, has gone on now to have a pretty good NHL career. Uh, this is being recorded 
before the uh, the NHL awards ceremony in 2019. So he is up for the Vezina uh, this season. Uh, great years with Tampa, couple good years so far with Dallas. But uh, the Blues, he had fallen out of favor. And uh, this is, um, I know a lot of people still call this a controversial trade for the Blues, but um, at the time, they have you, people forget that um, Jake Allen was supposed to be the next great guy. Plus, Brian Elliott and Yaroslav Locke were doing a pretty good job here in St. Louis at the time. So moving Ben Bishop seemed like the right thing to do. They move him to Ottawa. Uh, they get a second-round pick for him, which they used to draft Tommy Vanelli, who is still in the blue system. Um, and now Bishop is a guy that, uh, uh, he goes, like I said, goes on to Ottawa. Ottawa uses him. Seems like a pretty decent player. Then they turn around and flip him. For Corey Conacher, who at that time was a, a great player for the Lightning, undersized guy, we talked about that, and a fourth-round pick in 2013. He goes on to Tampa and, as I said, has a pretty good career there, holds some records there for them. So it's kind of funny. People complain about the Blues giving up on Ben Bishop, but really, you look at it, the Senators kind of did the same thing. Yeah, so, I mean, to give some context there, uh, before they traded for, for Bishop, they have um, they have Craig Anderson, who's like established veteran goaltender at that point. He's he's the absolute like bona fide starter in Ottawa, uh, and then they have Robin Leonard backing him up. And Robin Leonard was a guy who um, you know the team drafted him forty uh, sixth overall, like in the second round. They developed him. He played on their uh, AHL team. Uh, they won the Calder Cup. Uh, on that AHL team. And I think, uh, I think he got the MVP um, in that, uh, in that, um, in that tournament. So, and all these ridiculous things were being thrown around about Robin Leonard, like, um, you know, uh, Carey Price had done the same thing. He had won the playoff MVP in a Calder cup winning team. So there was like a pretty well-established narrative in Ottawa that you got your veteran starter and Anderson and Robin Leonard is going to be the, you know, he's the heir apparent. And then uh, Anderson hurts himself at some point and Ottawa has playoff aspirations. And so they trade for Bishop, but I think he was always kind of thought of as a, um, as a stopgap. You know, mm -hmm. like promising, promising guy. Obviously, he's huge. He's a huge man. And so at the very least, you can throw him in. He's going to take up a lot of space in the, in, uh, in the net. Um, but he plays, he plays pretty well. He plays really well in Ottawa. And then we suddenly have this kind of like embarrassment of riches where you've got uh, Anderson, Leonard, and Bishop, which when you think about that now, you know, Leonard just coming off of the, the, the season he had with the Islanders, and uh, Bishop coming off the season he had with Dallas, you know, the thought that Ottawa controlled both of those guys at some point is kind of depressing. Um, but uh, Ottawa decides to make, they, they go in another direction. They trade Bishop. Uh, they trade him for Corey Conacher and a pick. Um, and Conacher has like some, some good games in Ottawa. He scored a big overtime goal in the playoffs uh, that year. But, um, you know, he, he doesn't stick around with the team. Um, I think he's back with Tampa now, but he's kind of uh, bouncing back and forth uh, between their, their NHL and AHL team. And um, so everyone goes, okay, well, fine. Ben Bishop played his role in Ottawa as a stopgap. Uh, no big deal. But then shortly after that, Ottawa also trades Leonard. They trade Leonard to Buffalo for a first-round pick. At which point, and this was after, 
I'm not sure how much blues fans are familiar with the Hamburglar run mm-hmm. in oh, Ottawa. Yeah. yeah, Andrew Hammond goes on this ridiculous run, and uh, they sign Andrew Hammond, and suddenly all of their like promising young goaltenders become expendable. They trade off Leonard. I think Leonard was having some off ice problems too, and uh, and then ever since we've just had you know Anderson who stands on his head one night but gets hurt the other night. And we've had this rotating cast of like really expensive, not very good backup goalies, uh, either Mike Condon or Andrew Hammond ever since then. So, yeah, looking at it now, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Leonard's got his shit together and he's, uh, you know, he looks great in the like for the Islanders. Um, and, uh, you know, Bishop looks amazing in uh, in Dallas if you can stay healthy. But, yeah, he's, you know, Bishop bounced around a bit, you know, like he was he was going to be that guy for the Islander or for the lightning and uh, the lightning traded him too, uh, for, to LA and then LA trades him. So yeah, I think people seem to be not that sold on him. And then he's like, finally really happy for him. He's like found his spot in Dallas. Yeah. And it was, man, I didn't even think about that. The fact that, uh, either way, it seems like Ottawa's probably going to see one of their former goalies win the visit this year. Laner yeah. and uh, Bishop up for it, man. I didn't even think about that. That's yeah, rough. <laughs> it's been a it's been a dark year in Ottawa in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, yes, it has. Um, but uh, speaking of current Ottawa, you've got Magnus Payarvi on the roster, a guy who uh, had a, a big playoff goal for the Blues a couple of years ago, but he was much maligned by Blues fans. Uh, never really uh, got the support here, and uh, to be honest, um, I think he was kind of relied on to be a, a top six, even top nine guy. That's not really who he was. I mean, granted he was a number one pick or a first overall pick, which is why I think Otto or Edmonton was happy to get rid of him. But uh, he hasn't, he's been okay. Looks like for the senators last season was his best since his rookie year uh, played in 80 games, had 11 goals and eight assists. So not too shabby for him, but uh, how, uh, how has he been received in, in Ottawa by their fans? Um, well, I think he's cheap. That's the main thing. Uh, you know, he, uh, he came in on, uh, on a really, really inexpensive deal. Uh, you know, he's, he's got a, he's got one of the, some pedigree, I guess he was drafted, uh, he's drafted pretty high up by the Oilers, I think, unless I got that wrong. Um, so, you know, you can read into that, you know, whether there's any value in that or not, I don't know, but you know, he can at least play in the NHL. And, uh, he comes in, he, he, uh, he signs a $900,000 deal with Ottawa and, you know, most nights he was kind of invisible. He's a depth player on the last place team. Um, you know, he's, he's like a affable guy and he's pretty funny. So I think everyone kind of just feels like, yeah, why not? Right. Um, in the, in the stretch there towards the end of the season though, uh, they put him on a line with Brian Gibbons, who's a 31-year-old undersized, uh, you know, mostly AHLer that I think they got from Anaheim, and Anthony Duclair, who's bounced around a lot. Uh, he's only 23, but he's played, I think, for the Rangers in Arizona, and he's played all over the place. So they put those three on a line together, and they actually looked pretty good. Um, you know, their underlying numbers were terrible like their possession numbers were garbage but they you know they had a, a nice little pdo bump and uh they scored they overachieved i think uh and so you know they, they gave us something to watch the games for um 
you know, the, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be back next year. I, he's an unrestricted free agent now. Uh, I think he said in a media interview that he was, uh, he, he liked it in Ottawa. He wanted to come back. Um, you know, somebody's going to have to play for the senators next year. I don't know who it's going to be <laughs> like they're right now. Uh, they've only got $22 million committed to their entire forward core. And a third of that is Bobby Ryan. So <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and they've only got and an even crazier stat. Uh, they only have four and a half million dollars committed to their entire blue line. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And they got to re- I think they're going to re-sign Cody CC, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, so that'll go a little bit higher. So, you know, Pyarvi has been a good soldier and uh, he seems to like it in Ottawa. I don't know how much more you can expect from him. Um, you know, he'll, he'll play out the season and he'll work hard and, you know, put up, a good 15, 20 points and be a minus 20. And, uh, you know, no one will begrudge him that so long as he's still making $900,000. So uh, real quick, speaking of pay RV, I know right now, uh, as I said, this is, uh, this is pre-recorded from when this airs. So um, uh, this is uh, March, I'm sorry, May 24th. We're recording this before the blues uh, play in their first Stanley cup final game. So I'm going to mention I've got a pretty massive beard right now. I've got the, uh, the the playoff beard going. This is typically not what I look like in May, because usually the Blues are far out of it by now. Um, so I'm going to show you. Somebody always tells me, everyone always tells me, that I actually look like Magnus Pearby. So uh, I am going to <laughs> show you. I don't know if you can. Uh, can you see my screen right now? Uh, let's see. I can see. I can see you. I can't see the the screen now. Ah, you can. Okay, hang on. Well, this is uh, great for radio. Let me tell you. <laughs> I can uh, kind of see it. I can kind of see the PyRV. Yeah, uh, you can see it in the mostly in the yeah. It's mostly in the um, the cheeks and the nose. I think that people really notice that. And yeah, this is. Uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, again, great for radio here. Uh, there you go. There's there's us with our helmets on playing hockey. Absolutely, I can see absolutely it? see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you also make nine hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Yes, That's... yes. To to play yeah. hockey. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We we both get the ladies here. Um. <laughs> so, uh, one last thing I really want to touch on with you. I mean, we we can look at the the alumni list here, and it's actually fairly long, which I'm shocked by. I did a little research and. Uh, maybe some of the more notable names are Brian Elliott, Steve Duchesne. Um, there's a lot. Patrick Laleem, Ricard Pearson, uh, Ray Redden. Um, lots of names there. But uh, the thing I really want to touch on is a St. Louis boy currently in your organization. Um, drafted in uh, 2018, number four overall. And uh, it, it, kind of a controversial pick because people thought they should have given that pick to Colorado. So that way they could uh, possibly get a number one pick this year. But Looks like they're going to be drafting in the same spot, but they took Brady Kachuk, and obviously they saw something in Brady that that uh, that they liked, and he had a heck of a season. Um, he's uh, he's he's a great rookie. Obviously, not probably not going to win because of Pedersen's year and as well as uh, Bennington, but um, yeah, he looked great this year for the Senators. Had a little bit of injury problems, but uh, um, do you think he's going to be a Senators mainstay in the future? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think he could run for mayor in Ottawa and win if he was Canadian, you know, people are, are, are real converts at the time. I think, 
you're right. People were uh, thinking either Ottawa should pass on that pick or they should trade uh, Zadina uh, or uh, draft Zed- uh, Philip Zadina, uh, who uh, ended up going to Detroit, but he was a more, um, he was viewed as a more skilled player. And I think, you know, there's, there's a point at which, you know, this was coming off of just months and months of awful like headlines for Ottawa where everything Ottawa did, I think was easy to look at as more evidence that they were just a garbage fire. And so, you know, they, they drafted using fourth overall, a player who is big and is like a character guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think initially the, the perception was, you know, you can get those guys in the later rounds. Why are you using fourth overall on a, a oversized net front presence character guy? You know, you should really be going for like high ceiling skilled guys uh, with that with that high of a pick. But you know, he had a really great season. Uh, you know, he's and I think the what really converted a lot of people was he played most of the season with Mark Stone, who's obviously just like one of the best two way forwards in the entire league. But then when Ottawa trades Stone at the deadline, uh, he continued to have a pretty good season. Um, you know, he continued to play big uh, line minutes. You know, his new uh, centerman is like Chris Tierney, like a, who's basically a third line center on a, on a good team. Um, and he's, you know, he, he comported himself really well. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he and, you know, we tend to, I think the analytics community will look at, at character as being a little bit overvalued. Uh, but maybe we undervalued it a little bit because he's really won over a lot of people. Like he's a charming kid. He's, you know, he's great with the fans. Uh, and I think, you know, Ottawa has really, uh, looked at surrounding him with players, uh, that he knows from his college days as well. So, you know, it better work out with him because, (laughs) because basically our whole strategy is now, uh, built around Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat and Eric Brandstrom. Um, but you know he he looks he looks great out there for like an eighteen year old kid. I know he got hurt a little bit this year, which had everyone nervous. You know, uh, draft a guy fourth overall, play him a little bit too soon, maybe. You know, uh, if Kachuk had been drafted by Detroit, you could imagine him being in the minors for four years before he ever gets a sniff of the NHL. Right. Uh, Ottawa just throws him right in there right away. But yeah, I think I think he looks great. I think he looks really good, and uh, there's there's high hopes that. Um, if you put him on a line with uh, like a Logan Brown, like an oversized skill guy on, on Ottawa's AHL team and Drake Batherson, who's a really amazing skill winger that that as a future top line could be, uh, could be really amazing if everything works out well. So I'm just hoping he stays healthy and uh, yeah, I think he's probably future captain material on the team. Yeah. I, I would not be shocked by that. It's a kind of a, a leadership quality seems to, flow through the Kachuk boys. Um, I spoke with uh, uh, Dan Stevenson of the Fireside Chat, uh, the uh, Flames podcast uh, for this series, and he had told me that he says the same thing about Matthew. He thinks uh, Matthew will eventually become captain of the uh, the Calgary Flames. Something else he mentioned was uh, Keith Kachuk, the, the dad, uh, St. Louis boy now. Now he's, um, he's calling St. Louis home. He says that they, he sees Keith Kachuk up in Calgary constantly. Um, yeah, are, are, is, is is there reports of Keith Kachuk always uh, being seen in Ottawa from uh, last season? Oh yeah, yeah, he's always in the stands, and he's uh, you know he's getting interviewed by local 
local media all the time. It was, it was pretty, uh, pretty funny because in the lead up to the uh, trade deadline, uh, we all knew Mark Stone was going to be traded and uh, which is just heartbreaking, right? Like Mark Stone's yeah. a guy who they draft in like the sixth round they develop him into one of the best two-way players in the game. And then now at his, at his absolute peak, they trade him, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like heartbreaking. And uh, Keith Kachuk is, is going on local media. Cause at that time, uh, Brady Kachuk was living with Mark Stone and he goes, you know, this team can't trade Stone. He's been so good for Kachuk's development. This team absolutely can't trade Stone. So it's kind of funny to see this NHL legend, like inserting himself into the most like, uh, tense political uh, issue, like in Ottawa Senators uh, debates at that time, and just being like, you know, Ottawa's got to do everything they can to resign Stone right now. Uh, yeah, that whole surprised me one bit. Keith yeah. is a very outspoken guy. Yeah, that whole family, though, was, uh, when uh, the Flames came to Ottawa, the whole family came and, and got a box. And, uh, you know, uh, Grandma Kachuk was in the media and everything. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. I'm glad we're sort of hitching our wagon to that uh, family's train. Yeah, they're they're all great, great guys. I've I've met Keith once or twice, and sorry, I, I'm supposed to call him Walt. We have to call him Walt here in St. Louis, uh, his nickname. Uh, and he's he's a very generous guy, and uh, it seems like uh, the, uh, the 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 branches. What is it? The the branch is not falling. The apple has not fallen far from the tree. That's what I was looking for, on, uh, for both his sons. Um, so Conrad, this is uh, this was great. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I want to give you plenty of time here to tell my listeners and, and anyone who's possibly a Senators fan that's tuning in uh, where they can find your work, how they can listen to your podcast, how they can uh, interact with you on social media. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. This was a lot of fun. Uh, so our website's called Welcome to Your Carlson Years. That's just welcome to your carlsonyears.com. Uh, we mostly are doing a podcast now, uh, which you can find on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we also put it up on the website. Um, you know, congratulations to Blues fans. We're recording this right before uh, the start of the finals. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys want to take a break from the finals to hear about the last place Ottawa Senators. But if you do, <laughs> uh, you can always go to our website. And, uh, and yeah, welcome to your CarlsonYears.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Well, I want to thank Conrad again for coming on. Make sure you check out the Twitter handles for our show if you're on Twitter. Uh, the show account is at LGB Radio. Host of the show, Kurt Price, is at Kurt Price. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. Our next show will be Thursday, September 12th. Eric and AJ from Teal Town, USA join uh, good friends of the show, obviously. Talk uh, blues and sharks. And, uh, oh boy, I will tell you folks now, this was a long, long interview. I'm debating cutting it down. It's, uh, it's, it's the better part of two and a half hours. So we talked a long time. Uh, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that, uh, we're kind of buddy buddy with that, uh, with that awesome podcast they do out there. So it was just easy for us to kind of just get into it and just start talking, uh, like friends would. So, uh, I do apologize if uh, I do end up posting the whole episode because I know that's pretty long, but uh, eh, it was good. It was good stuff. Well, that will conclude this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, everyone, let's go Blues. Play Gloria! Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. 
Have a great day. Play dance. I'm rocking and rolling with the blues. 